Father, we bow before you again with thankful hearts for the privilege that we have to come into your presence and worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you, Father, that in Christ our sins have been paid for and that we are acceptable in your sight because of his righteousness. We thank you, Father, that you are a God that controls all things and that you are working through us and in us to bring about your purpose. We pray, Father, that you would continue to teach us this day as we study your word. We know that left to our own ignorance that we would continue in our sins. So we pray, Father, that you would give us the knowledge and wisdom that we need from above. We thank you for your word that is inerrant and inspired. We pray, Father, that as we meditate upon it this morning, that we may learn your truth and rightly apply it to our lives. For we know, Father, that we are sinful creatures saved only by the grace of God. And we need your spirit and your word to guide us into truth so that we will not be men who speak lies. But, Father, we pray that we would be men and women that speak truth. Use us, Father, to speak your truth to others that we come in contact with and to live your truth out each and every day. We pray, Father, that as the gospel is preached throughout the world today, that many would come into your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that we would be used of you to be light in this dark world. We come to you, Father, with heavy hearts, knowing of those that have passed away this week. We come to you praying for the Wakefield family during this time of sorrow and death. And as they go through the valley of the shadow of death, we pray, Father, that you would strengthen them. We pray also, Father, for others that have been confronted with death this week. And, Father, it grieves our heart, for we know that death destroys. And, Father, we pray and long for that day when death will be no more. We pray, Father, for those families who need comfort, that you would comfort them as only you can. And cause us to realize, Father, that life can be so short. For we have heard of those who were very young who have passed away, as well as those who are old and many in between. Today, we know, Father, is the day of salvation, that none of us are promised tomorrow. So cause us to seek the Lord while he may be found and not harden our hearts against him. But cause us to realize that he brings things into our life providentially to cause us to realize that he is our God and that we must bow before him and worship him and claim Christ as our Savior. We pray for those who need a healing hand upon their bodies. We ask, Father, that you'd be pleased to restore their health quickly so that they may again join us in worship. We pray for those who would not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual needs, Father. Bring them back to us. and Do not allow them to continue to forsake assembling together the brethren, but work in their lives and give them a desire to worship with your people. We continue to pray, Father, for this nation and the church and that you would be pleased to bring about an awakening in our day to bring honor and glory to your name and again to see your truth reestablished in our society. These things we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. 
Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount and we come to the next passage there in Scripture beginning with verse 30. Beginning with 33. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But, yet, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now again, I believe that these verses that we are looking at this morning are tied to those that are before it, just as we saw last week, those verses pertaining to divorce were tied to those that pertain to adultery. Because the entire section is dealing with our commitment to God and His law. Here in verses 33 through 37 we find that these verses are not really, you could say, attractive to most people. I mean, you don't hear very many sermons pertaining to keeping your word as this deals with and swearing falsely and oaths and vows. It's something that is rarely preached. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about this, I don't remember. Now, that doesn't remember mean that I remember all the sermons I ever heard growing up in a Baptist church, but I do not remember a sermon being preached on this particular passage as I grew up. Now, that doesn't mean that I did not hear the truth from my parents and others to tell the truth. I mean, to not break the ninth commandment. As a child, I often heard that I was to keep my word, to keep my promises. And I even would say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Now, now that was a promise, wasn't it? I shared with our people that attended the family camp that um, we should not use that particular saying. But even though I used it as a child and it was wrong in using it because we address it in this particular passage that we're looking at. I mean, the very fact that Jesus addresses this in his first formal sermon confirms the importance of this particular passage and subject. I mean, so we must not ignore any truth that Jesus gives us. For whatever Jesus addresses is never trivial, but very vital to our spiritual condition, vital to your spiritual life as well as my spiritual life. And Jesus knew what man needed to hear on this inauguration of his sermon to the Jews. He understood 
what would help men have a spiritually well-rounded life. He understood how the Pharisees had twisted and perverted God's law, leaving the Jews in their sin. As we've looked at many times, the Jews thought that they were keeping the law of God. They thought that they were fulfilling the Ten Commandments because they had been taught that they were fulfilling them if they did these things that needed to be done outwardly. But the Pharisees never dealt with their own heart, much less dealt with the heart of the other Jews. And he was, Jesus was very concerned about the spiritual welfare of his people, the Jewish people. And he knew their sinful situations. He knew how deceitful, how dishonest their words were to each other. But more importantly... He knew how deceitful and dishonest their words were toward God Himself. The prophet Hosea said in chapter 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that was happening in Jesus' day. God's people were being destroyed for lack of knowledge. And Jesus came preaching the truth to give them knowledge. But true knowledge doesn't always deter a man from his sins. It may restrain him understanding the judgment that is coming. And of course, this is one of the reasons why it is so important that we teach our children truth. One of the reasons why we catechize our children. We are planting seeds in their mind. And praying that those seeds would bring forth fruit in their heart one day. We pray for them and that God might use the truth that we teach them to bring about their salvation and obedience to God's Word. But yet there's still millions throughout the world who have never heard the Word of God preached. And there is no conviction of sin in their life because... They've not heard the truth. They have not heard the gospel. Yes, they do have a conscience, but yet they have seared their conscience. They've hardened their hearts against God. And therefore, they need to hear the gospel so that they might be convicted by the Spirit of God and turn from their sins. Some of you may have seen the little boy this past week using all kind of vulgarity against the two police officers and even swinging at them and trying to kick them. The police were there to arrest a murder suspect. They had no respect whatsoever for the police officers. Why? Well, you know why as well as I do. They had not been taught to respect the police officers. They were ignorant of who these police officers are. They had been taught just the opposite. Matter of fact, they said in that particular Newsreel that there was a particular individual, adult, agging on the children to continue to do what they were doing. Listen to what A.W. Pink says. It's much to be feared that millions of this present generation, now of course he's speaking of his generations, which was in the mid-1900s, who are guilty of the crime which Christ here condemns, are totally ignorant of their wickedness in this matter. 
Nothing is more prevalent today among all classes than cursing and swearing. And it's high time that both the pulpit and the press sound a loud and solemn warning thereon. Could you imagine A.W. Pink being alive in our day and hear what's going on and see what's going on? See, everyone that is left in their sin is guilty of this crime that Jesus is speaking of. They're totally ignorant of how wicked it is. I mean, this sin breaks numerous commandments, as we will see as we continue this study this morning. But one of the most obvious is the third commandment, which speaks about taking God's name lightly. In the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, it points out about oaths and vows and how an oath and a vow is an act of worship. Most people don't realize that, but it's involved in worship. We looked at that, at a, as I mentioned, at our family camp and those sermons. I'm not going to preach the same sermon I preached at family camp. I was tempted to do that, to take all three and combine them and make one. But you can uh, go to our website and you can pull up those sermons, not only mine, but also the ones that were preached by the other two preachers and and learn pertaining to that. But it reveals the vital significance in life for everyone which has to do with the worship of God must be done reverently and in accordance to what God's Word says. As you know, and I've mentioned before, we hold to the regulative principle when it comes to worship. In other words, we want to do exactly what God has said pertaining to worship, and we want to do it reverently because it seeks to honor God's name. We want to do what God desires for us to do as far as worship is concerned. So we see that also vows and oaths are part of worship, and we must realize that we are in a spiritual warfare. And Satan uses the same deceitful techniques that he used in the very beginning. We, we read just a moment ago in our scripture reading how he came to Eve and how he deceived Eve there in Genesis chapter 3. And we must see that Satan continues to do the same thing today. He continues to seek to deceive us. And when we do what Satan wants us to do as far as our words are concerned, we are acting like Satan. And parents must press this upon their children at a very early age. For from the earliest of age, our children begin to lie. And we must teach them that when you lie, you're acting like the evil one. You're acting like Satan. They must be taught to speak truth. Now, where are those that can be relied upon in our day? Where are those who will fulfill their promises and responsibilities and keep their commitments? Whether it be in marriage or in the church or in government, or in your job, or any other activity, where are people of integrity? That's what we desire. We should be people of integrity, but we should desire that other people are people of integrity. 
People who keep their word. And we live in a day where people are constantly speaking falsehood. From our president all the way down to our neighbors, as well as in our own home, sad to say. It is difficult to believe just about anyone in our day and time. And that should not be the case, but that is the case. I mean, we're learning how our government even has lied to us during this COVID epidemic. I mean, just this past week, Dr. Britt, who was one of the main doctors, some called her the scarf lady because every time she'd wear a different scarf when she gave some kind of news report. She was one of the main doctors overseeing the COVID pandemic, and she has revealed a lot of dishonesty in what they said to us. She said, our report writing routine soon became write, submit, hide, and resubmit. She said it was a pandemic driven by assumption and perception rather than data and science. Now, what were we told constantly? That it was driven by data and science. And, and she admits in her book that it was not driven by data and science. She even said that they knew that the 15-day quarantine, remember that? If we all stay in our houses for 15 days, then the pandemic will be reduced greatly. She said that the quarantine wasn't based on any evidence that they had. Nor was the six feet apart, which was to control the virus, nor the limiting of ten or less into a group. She also said they knew that the vir- where the virus came from, even though for almost two years they told us that they didn't know where the virus came from. And we also were told by our president, Down, that if you got the vaccination, you would not get COVID. Well... Now that he has COVID, I don't think he'll be saying that anymore. I mean, we live in a day, and it's sad to say, a falsehood, and it abounds much. Where is integrity? See, we have an integrity crisis, and it's sad that very few keep their word, fulfill their promises, especially in our government today. I mean, when you cannot trust your government, it begins to... Make the whole nation fragile. And that's what's happened. But not only in our government, also as we looked at last week and spoke about last week, in in marriage, when people are unwilling to keep their marriage vows. It's so important that truth is spoken and lies are exposed. Especially concerning spiritual things, for those are the most important things. So this morning as we examine what Jesus is teaching, let us see how important it is for us to obey His words. First of all, I want to simply define what is a lie. A lie is an intentional falsehood which violates someone's right to know the truth. Let me repeat that. A lie is an intentional falsehood that violates someone's right to know the truth. Listen to what Pastor Sam Storms, who wrote an article a number of years ago, says about lies. 
There are cases when people forfeit the right to know the truth. The question, therefore, is not whether it is even morally permissible to lie, but the question is, what is a lie? A lie is an intentional declaration or communication of the falsehood designed to deceive someone who has a moral and legal right to know the truth. A lie is the telling of an untruth to someone to whom you are morally and legally obligated to speak the truth to. Now, why is it so difficult to find people who are truth-tellers, to keep their word? Difficult to trust people today. Well, God's word tells us why. In Psalms 116.11, it says, All men are born liars. If you have children, you know that's true. Lying comes naturally. No one has to teach them to lie. Some people are pathological liars. I started to give some examples, but I knew my children would not like it, so I decided not to give those examples. I mean, we all were lying. When we were children, we lied as well. But there are some that rather lie than tell the truth, even when the truth would be beneficial to them. But they continue to lie. And there are passages in Scripture that speak about lying. Proverbs 6, 16 through 9. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. A haughty eye, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, And he who breathes out lies will perish. Romans 21.8 But the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoralitors, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Colossians 3.9 Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, which is it with its practices. So Proverbs, I mean that Colossians 3 9 is telling us that's of the old life, to put it off. In Ephesians 4 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, so the same thing, having put it away. Why? Because we're in Christ now. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, as Christians, we don't want to be around liars, do we? I mean, for lying, as I've already mentioned, is a direct connection to the father of lies. And who is the father of lies? Well, of course, it's Satan. Jesus said in John 8, 44, You are your father, the devil. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the religious leaders. And the desire of your fathers you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own source. He is a liar and the father of it. So who is the father of all lies? Satan is the father of all lies. Lying reveals that a person is in bondage. In bondage to sin. I've often heard children even say to their parents, I don't want to lie, but I can't help it, Mommy. I can't help it, Daddy. And in one sense, they're right. I mean, you need to tell them that only Jesus Christ can set them free from this sin. But we are going to help you keep from lying because every time we hear you lie, you're going to be punished appropriately. But you need to seek Christ so He will set you free from the sin of lying. Yes, Scripture teaches that we are all born liars. But it also teaches that by grace we can repent and become truth tellers and and put away lying. In one way, some children learn to lie, sad to say, is by listening to their parents. I mean, we may think it's a little thing to tell a half-truth, but what is it teaching our children who think to themselves, well, if mom and dad don't have to be completely honest, if they can tell a half-truth, can't I also tell a half-truth? It's easy to shade the truth and, and give a half-truth, even after salvation. Again, it's a spiritual battle. And Satan will put all kinds of things in our mind to cause us to think that we have to lie. We don't listen to him. I mean, if Eve would not have listened to Satan, what would have happened? Well, they would have continued to go on and gone on to glory as God had promised them. But she listened and we must not listen. And Jesus teaches those who follow him must be truth tellers. Keep their vows, keep their oaths, keep their covenants, keep their commitment. If Christians cannot be relied upon, who in the world can? We must speak the truth. Now there are some difficult passages in Scripture that deal with the subject of falsehood. And we see that there are times that people did not speak the truth when asked to speak the truth in some circumstances. I mean, how do you deal with those passages? For instance, remember the Hebrew midwives. Pharaoh had told the Hebrew midwife to kill all the babies when they were born. But what did they do? Well, they didn't kill them. And therefore, when Pharaoh came and he asked them, Why didn't you do as I said? And they responded. Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get there. That wasn't truthful. (laughs) But they weren't going to kill the babies. They were just simply making up an excuse there. And did they have the right to do it? Yes, because they were protecting these innocent babies. And then we see Rahab was asked about the two spies. And what was her response? Yes, the men came to me, but they did not, I did not know where they had come from at dusk. 
when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, but after them quickly, you may catch them. Again, what do we see there? Well, we see, as Sam Storms said, there are cases when people forfeit the right to know the truth. Pharaoh forfeited the right to know the truth. These that were looking for the spies forfeited the right to know the truth because their motive was what? To kill the spies. So we see that she was protecting the spies. Now, either one of these desires the truth, for they had evil intent, or to know the truth. I said desire to, but to know the truth. But don't use those particular passages to seek to justify dishonest words, unless it's for the good intent and brings glory to God. Now, second, as Christians, we must fulfill our vows and oaths. And Jesus emphasized that and how important it was, whether it was a vow or an oath, a covenant, or simply a reply to another person. All of these are to be treated with integrity. We are not to act like the Pharisees. As mentioned before, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now in the 17th century, a certain group, such as the anti-Baptists and the Quakers, they denied the legitimacy of any oath and making any vow because they believed that it was in direct contradiction to what Jesus is saying here in this particular passage. So therefore, the 1689 Confession of Faith in chapter 22 clarifies his meaning and confirms the lawful oaths and vows. Listen to what it says. A lawful oath is a part of religious worship, and I've already mentioned that. Therein the person swears in truth, righteousness, and judgment, solemnly calling upon God to witness what he sweareth, and to judge him according to the truth and the falseness thereof. Now, this paragraph describes the nature of an oath. An oath is a solemn promise made before another party and before God. And God is called upon to be the witness and judge of that particular oath. In other words, when you go to court, what? You make an oath. I solemn to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So you're making an oath before the people that you stand before, and you're also making it before God. That's an oath. But we also see a vow, and a vow is made to God, committing to do something and basing it upon that you're promising God that you will fulfill this. So they're very similar to one another, but there is a little bit of difference between one because one is made directly to God. The other one is made before God, but to the people. For instance, remember Hannah made a vow. She, she wanted a son. 
And she prayed and she made a vow to God. God, if you will give me a son, I will in turn give him back to you. And she fulfilled that vow. Abraham swore an oath when he made a covenant with Abimelech. Remember, there there was an argument over water and there was this conflict uh, as far as the source of water. And they made this covenant, this agreement pertaining to that. And Abraham swore the oath before the people, but also is before God. Uh, we have what we call mar- marriage vows that we make before God. And then the oath, like I said, is in a court of law. Now some, and like I said, it was the Anabaptists and the Quakers, and there's other groups uh, that also questioned the lawful use of oaths and vows. And we, we addressed that. At family camp, like I said, you can go and listen to those sermons. And I gave six reasons why oaths and vows are lawful. Now, Jesus and James, and a lot of people say that James actually, when in his writing the epistle of James, used a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. And they both warned people of not making vows and oaths flippantly. First, they were not to think that only vows to the Lord were binding. And that was the mindset, that only if a vow was made to the Lord, that was the only thing that would be binding. All other vows, they were teaching, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were teaching they could be broken because it was not in the name of the Lord. And such thinking was incorrect, and that's what Jesus is trying to press upon the religious leaders and the Jews of that day. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. So Jesus addresses it directly. Second, he's pointing out that our daily speech should not be filled with oaths and vows. In other words, you shouldn't always be saying, uh, I I promise you, I, I make a vow to you, I make an oath. He's saying, no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, an oath and a vow should be used very rarely. Only when it requires an oath and a vow. Because an oath and a vow is an act of worship. It's something that is very sacred. So the main point is that Christians need to be people of their word. We are to keep our marriage vows. We are to keep our oaths made to God. We are to keep our vows made to the church. So therefore we are to keep our word in all things. And it's sad that today people don't do that. We have a new members class. When people come into our church, we go through that new members class. And, and how teaches them what the, uh, our covenant says, what our bylaws say. We give them the 1689 and all these documents to read and study to make sure that they want to be a part of the church. And then when they come into the church... They're saying that I want to make a commitment. I want to make a covenant with this church and I will abide by these things that you hold to. And you know, something I was listening to, one of the sermons pertaining to this, and the the individual spoke about in their church, they have vows that the people actually make when they come as a member. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's something we're going to look at even as a church. That we make a vow to one another, we're making, or we make a vow to God and an oath to one another that we will fulfill these vows. That's one reason why today I think the church is in such a sad shape. It doesn't submit, the church of course being the people, submit to these things that God has required of us. 
Scripture clearly teaches, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. That we're to vow to be with one another. I mean, when you have a family gathering, if you have a family, supper time, hopefully you expect all the children to be there. If they're still in the home, living home. I mean, that's what you expect, right? And if one's not there, you're going to find out why they're not there. Well, it's the same way at the church. We expect everyone to be here. And when you're not here, we need to be checking on you, finding out why weren't you at church? One reason, if there was some kind of problem, so that we can pray for that problem, so that we can lift you up before the Lord. It's important that we keep our oaths and vows. Now, the Pharisees took the Old Testament command, do not swear falsely, but perform one's oath to the Lord, and they shifted the emphasis from the integrity of the oath to the formula of the oath. In other words, no longer was the emphasis on keeping one's promise, but the emphasis was shift to the phrase, to the Lord. And as a result, they concluded that one could break their oath if they did not swear in the name of the Lord. In fact, they had devoted an entire book on distinguishing between the kinds of oaths that could be broken and those that were not binding. How ridiculous. But that's what they had done. And that's what the people had learned. So Jesus' censor was not against lawful oath-taking, but it was against sinful oath-taking. And therefore, correcting the errors of the religious leaders. And we must not be like the Pharisees. I mean, let me show you how ridiculous it is. Turn to Matthew 23, beginning in verse 16. Jesus begins to address just how ridiculous the Pharisees and scribes were. He says, beginning in verse 16, Woe to you, you blind gals, who say... Whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift on the, or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar and swears by it and all things on it, he swears by the temple, swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven and swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So do you see what he's saying there? Jesus is pointing out how ridiculous it was, how they were making up, These ideas that you can swear by one thing, but don't swear by the other thing. So that is what he is addressing. Now thirdly, he says there in that passage, Let our yes be yes and no be no. In other words, don't follow Satan's lead. Don't follow this world that is constantly 
using words to destroy people and be dishonest. In other words, what we say, we have to realize can be used by Satan as a tool in his hand to discredit the gospel in Christianity. And we must not allow that to happen. We must speak the truth in love and we must live out what we say in our daily lives. James says in chapter 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 15. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. So Paul made his plans to go to them, to pass by the way to you, to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I not do it light? Did I do it lightly? Or the thing that I planned, do I did I plan according to the flesh that with me there shall should be yes and yes and no and no? But as God is faithful and our word to you was not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him was yes. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now what is Paul saying there? What Paul is saying is, I made my plans according to the providence of God. In other words, I did what I thought that God was leading me to. Now, God may have interrupted me and said, no, I'm not going to do this. Remember, at one time, he was fixing to go, and God said, no, you're not going that direction. He went another way. But yet, he was seeking to still uphold his word and do exactly what he had said, even though there are times that God providentially changes our plan. But our yes is still yes and our no is still no. In other words, he's a man of his word. And therefore, God's will is that we as Christians always speak the truth so that people know that we're honest in our daily life. Paul is simply given a description of his daily life, his daily plans that he made. And likewise, we are to do the same thing. I've come to see that there's those who profess the name of Christ who will often use Christianity in their business to try to get business. And those are the people you need to run from. I've learned that in my life. Those people who try, you know, be careful. Those who have on their side of their vehicle something pertaining to Christ in business be careful of those folks. Now, I'm not saying all of them fit into that category, but I've, I have come to see that most of them do. And it's sad. It's dishonoring to God. Christians must be mindful before they speak. 
knowing that what we say is important because people are judging the gospel in Christianity by what we say. We must follow Christ's example in always speaking the truth, no matter what the truth might cost us. The truth cost Christ His very life. And it may cost us, it may cost us our job. It may cost us other things. But we must be truthful. Now look at what Jesus adds. He says, For whatever is more than these, is from the evil one. Again, in our scripture reading, reading there in Genesis chapter 3, we see how Satan deceived Eve. In that passage, Satan accused God of being a liar. That's what he does there. Matter of fact, look at that with me. There in chapter 3. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. That is a direct contradiction to what God says, is it not? And not only does he say that, he goes on and he says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Now, now that was true. Their eyes would be open. But then you will be like God, see. See, again, there he's lying to them, knowing good and evil. Now, they would know good and evil, but they would not be like God as far as all his attributes. So we see that Satan twisted truth and deceived Eve about what her desires were. Instead of obeying God, he seeks to twist it to where Satan would have her obey him. Now, we have to understand that that is the work of Satan, to deceive, to twist. Now, the word that Jesus uses there, more, speaks of the corruption of man's nature, his passion and intensity from the pride of his heart and mind, a contempt on sacred things. It comes from the deceitfulness which is in man. In other words, since all men are liars, they use these declarations because since they are a liar, they trust no one else. So therefore they think everyone else is like them. And they're thinking that no one will believe me unless I use these declarations. In other words, God is my witness. This is true. You shouldn't use that. But there's people that use it. Or I'll put my hand on a stack of Bibles. You don't need to say things like that if you're a Christian. Our word should be our word. Our yes should be yes and no should be no. So therefore we must be careful of such people so that we do not discredit Christianity. We must avoid such people. And we must avoid these sayings not only because they are evil in themselves, but that which comes from evil will also appear being evil to others. Listen to what Andrew Fuller, the great Baptist, said. In these words, Christ makes further application of His swear not at all and lays down an important rule which is binding upon all. Your communication means your everyday dealings with your fellow man, particularly 
your common speech and conversation. Thousands of things are true, which yet it would be profaning the name of God to swear to. Christ was not here referring to judicial transaction at all, but to the ordinary fellowship of man with another. He did not censor His followers from what was said before a magistrate, but for what passes in ordinary conversation, that is, light and unnecessary oaths. This was a sin so prevalent among the Jews that even Christians who were called from among them stood in need of being warning, warned against this sin. So he's speaking about our everyday conversation, that we must be men of our word. And many of you remember when you didn't have to sign a contract, you didn't have to do all the legal stuff, you simply did what? shook hands, and that person was a man of their word. Where has that gone? Finally, we must also remember that we must give an account for every word which we speak. Now, that particular passage is a little frightening. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be judged, and by your words you will be condemned. That's not me speaking, folks. That's Jesus' very words. For every idle word men may speak. Did you hear that? Every idle word. I don't know about you, but it causes me to be a little bit nervous. He goes on. In the day of judgment, you will be judged. For by your word you will be judged, justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus speaks concerning every single word that we speak. And shows the evil contained in them. He speaks of the coming judgment. Now why does he speak of the coming judgment? He speaks of the coming judgment so that we might check our words. So that we might do everything in our power by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's grace to give us the strength to be able to watch over our words. And God takes notice of every word that we say. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. We may be thinking that we're fooling somebody, but we're not going to fool God. That's one thing for sure. And even though we may not be noticed by other people, God knows us. Psalms 139.4 says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Every word that's on my tongue, God knows it. Vital, vile. Idle, impolite talking is displeasing to God, for it doesn't bring good about. It doesn't edify. 
It produces vain and trifling hearts, which comes from Satan. And these idle words are the same with the foolish talking and joking that is forbidden by Paul there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4. This is that sin which often happens with a multitude of words. Unprofitable talk as Job talks about in chapter 15, 3. And we must give an account for every idle word, he says. They will produce evidence. Evidence that we are all unprofitable servants. And reveal how they hindered the gift of reason in speech. And if we don't repent of our every idle word... And if our account is not cleansed by the blood of Christ, then we are undone. Those who seem to be religious but bridle not their tongue will be found to have been deceived by the evil one and be like the Pharisees. Have you come and experienced the grace of God and repentant of lying tongue. Repentant of your idle words. Have you looked to the blood of Christ that covers every single sin, past, present, future? Have you come to look to Christ for the righteousness that you cannot earn? And to trust in Him and Him alone who spoke the truth to us. Do you speak the truth to others? Do you speak the truth of the gospel to those that you come in contact? Do you warn them of the coming judgment? Do you warn them to seek Christ while there's time? None of us are promised tomorrow. Again, I've been so aware of that this week. And we've all witnessed the death of individuals. I mean, the two tragic accidents that happened. Neither one of them were ready. Three people dead instantly in these automobile accidents. None of them thought they were going from this earth on that day. They all thought that they were going to continue to live many more years. And then the death of a young child that I heard about last night. And the death of a man my age that happened this morning. Death is real. We must think about it. Today is the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. Seek the Lord while He may be found. May we seek Christ and experience His grace. Let us pray. Father, again we bow before You.
understanding the urgency of seeking Christ. The urgency of examining ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. The urgency of crying out to you so that our mouths may be filled with truth and not lies. Make us people of truthfulness and use us to speak the truth to those that we come in contact with. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.